ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. This is the NT Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. G'day there, my name's Matt Brann. Welcome to the program. Today you'll hear about two solar farms in the Northern Territory which have been built and are already generating power into the grid. So I would say that there's been the main the main ingredient has been a, a lot of innovation and, and hard work. What's the secret, and why can't all NT solar farms do this? Also today, is Australia's cattle herd increasing or on the decline? I'll share the latest results with you in just a moment. And today we catch up with the Govies, also known as home shooters of the Northern Territory, who are in Alice Springs this week getting up to date on ways to help their remote students. I'm Helenia, I'm from Calabity Station and the thing I'm most excited for about this year is just seeing the kids grow and just being there, teaching them and just being outside with them as well. Yep, the Govies from far and wide have come to Alice Springs this week. You'll hear their stories today on the Country Hour before 1.30. We're broadcasting right across the Territory on the ABC. And a reminder, if you need to duck out for whatever reason or maybe you're about to lose reception on the highway, you can always download the podcast and listen at a time that suits you. Now, native title holders have decided to appeal last month's Supreme Court ruling, which found the NT government acted lawfully when granting Singleton Station its water extraction licence of up to 40,000 megalitres a year. The Central Land Council has lodged the appeal today on behalf of those native title holders, arguing the decision was invalid because it did not comply with the NT Water Act and did not properly take Aboriginal cultural values into account. So it's heading back to court. Here is Dr Josie Douglas, General Manager of the Central Land Council. Today the Central Land Council, on behalf of native title holders, are lodging an appeal against Australia's largest controversial water licence. The appeal challenges the ruling made on the 31st of January. The grounds of the appeal is based on the judge's interpretation of the Water Act, its interaction with the water allocation planning, the conditions of the licence and that cultural values were not taken into account and that native title holders were not given fair treatment as part of the process. And and Josie, uh, at what point will uh, the Central Land Council and the native title holders give up this fight? Uh, I mean, this has been going on for for years and years now. Central Land Council has received instructions from native title holders. Those native title holders that live on communities and outstations to the south of Tennant Creek to continue the fight and they won't rest until the water licence is determined to be invalid. They have very deep concerns about the benefits being only to the developer and that the benefits to locals are overstated. They're deeply concerned that the water table will be reduced. This will mean um, an impact on groundwater dependent trees, springs, soaks, swamps and will threaten sacred sites in the region. If the Supreme Court ruling stands, it shows very clearly that the NT government does not have to take into account its own water planning processes. 
it means that water planning in the Northern Territory is meaningless and so-called consultations are a complete waste of time. Dr Josie Douglas, General Manager of the Central Land Council, speaking to Lee Robinson. Meanwhile, the Arid Lands Environment Centre says it will also keep fighting this Singleton Station project. However, it will not be appealing the Supreme Court's decision last month. It says the risks attached to a Supreme Court appeal are too great for the Arid Lands Environment Centre which is a small but mighty community organisation and not-for-profit. Now, the ABC did contact Peter Wood for comment. Peter is from Fortune Agribusiness. In a short statement to the ABC, he said, We respect the legal process. We have yet to see their grounds for appeal and can make no further comment at this time. Fortune Agribusiness, it has owned Singleton Station for quite some years now. And this water licence has attracted a lot of scrutiny. And now it's heading back to the courtroom, it would seem. The project, it still needs to complete an environmental impact statement. So that still needs to be done before this irrigation project can go ahead on Singleton Station. When we did speak to Peter Wood last month, this was his update on how that environmental impact statement was coming along. Well, we only got the terms of reference late last year for that EIS, Dan. So it's it's a good couple of years program that needs to be conducted. So uh, the end of the end of next year would be, I would say, the the earliest, um, and it could be a little bit after that as well. And for those who don't know, what goes into putting that document together? Uh, look, look, well, the terms of reference is quite a lengthy document, so it, it details all of the uh, the requirements that we have to, uh, to fulfil, uh, the information we have to provide. So it does. Uh, it requires some further work in the field. Um, uh, we'll be doing some drilling to confirm certain parameters around the aquifer, and most importantly, we'll be seeking to engage very fully with the uh, with the local people to make sure any concerns they might have are understood by us, and uh, and that we can work with them to address those concerns, um, and also to uh, make sure that uh, we maximise the opportunities for those people as well in the project itself. That's Peter Wood from Fortune Agribusiness speaking to the Country Hour last month. Hello, my name's Al from Humpty Dew Sunflowers and you're listening to the Country Hour. Is Australia's cattle herd on the rise or is it on the decline? What do you think? <laughs> the latest numbers from Meat and Livestock Australia have been revealed. I'll be sharing that with you in a moment. Well, it's been nearly four years, four long years, since construction finished on four large solar farms in the top end. And yet only one of them, one of the four, is currently putting electricity into the grid. And I've got to say, it's a small amount. It really is. And yet two smaller solar farms at the RAF base in Darwin and at Robinson Barracks, well, they've been built, they've been switched on this month and are already generating power for the grid. So how have these defence solar projects got up and running so quickly while the Catherine Bachelor and Manton solar project basically sit idle and stare at the sky? 
Victor de Porta is from the energy technology company Proa, which helped the defence with these solar projects. And he says, yes, they are smaller farms, which helps, but there's also some new technology in them, which is making a difference. So I would say that there's been the main the main ingredient has been a, a lot of innovation and, and hard work. Uh, these sites are, su- are supported by uh, some small batteries that are 20 to 25 percent of the capacity of the of the solar arrays. But but that because they are small, they are not big enough to compensate for the big swings that the output of the solar farm could do. So uh, it it requires some smart management and orchestration of the hybrid plant in order to de- deliver steady and firm power to the to the grid and that's that's what prawa developed which is uh, acting as the brain of uh, these sites so you can effectively tell power and water how much electricity at all times the solar farms will be generating and allow yeah. them to compensate for any fluctuations so we are delivering forecasts up, up to 24 hours ahead, but only the uh, next 30 minutes have uh, a binding nature. And as we get closer to the uh, dispatch time, uh, we can keep uh, updating um, you, our, our offers to, to the market uh, in an increasing manner. So um, if in 30 minutes we were not... Uh, completely confident that there may be cloud cover impacting the site. We need to keep our offers low. And as um, that time gets closer and we increase um, our um, confidence increases, then, then we can keep pushing up the, the offer to, to the market. There's four other solar farms across the top end, bigger ones than the ones you were working on that are still yet to be fully connected to the grid. What will it take to get them fully powering uh, in in my in my in in my view, it's it's really about trying to develop you know, deploy an intelligent system as um, as the one that Prowa has um, developed uh, over the recent years for the defense sites. I do believe that uh, some firming capacity uh, would also be uh, required um, because you know while while smart management really helps uh, downsizing the requirement for firming from a battery, there is still a requirement for that uh, in order to have um, those projects to be economical. So, yeah, uh, I think it's it's basically now now that it's been proven that it can be done, um, it's it's time to kind of roll it out to, to other sites. Do solar farms elsewhere in Australia take four years or so to connect to the grid like these ones in the top end uh, are taking well those those the, the situation in top end has been quite quite special uh, i would say and there definitely has been um, several projects um, in in the nem and elsewhere in australia that have had significant delays um, for various reasons what's quite quite special in these cases because i think that one of the biggest bottlenecks was um, the fact that besides had to comply with these um, scheduling requirements, which other sites in the NEM or uh, Western Australia do not face. So most of the time they don't t- take this long to come online. But as I said, the, 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 the bar is pretty high for solar farms in, in the NT. Um, and, and that has um, 
cause some hard yards for for some participants. That's Victor DePorter, who's the Managing Director of Proa, an Australian energy intelligence company, speaking there to Dan Fitzgerald about these two solar farms at the RAF base and at Robinson Barracks. They've been built, they've been switched on this month, they're generating power into the grid. That's how it's done. 18 to 1. You are tuned into the Country Hour. Australia's cattle herd, is it on the up or on the down? The latest numbers are out and I'll share that with you next. And I'll also be telling you about a Brahmin stud that has just sold everything. It's sold the entire herd. It is a beef deal that has got the industry talking and you'll hear all about it next on the Country Hour. G'day, my name's Will Weir from WTW Brahmins. I live out at Amaru Station and I've just started my own Brahmin stud. You're listening to the NT Country Hour. Thank you, Will. And William Weir, if you are listening to the Country Hour this afternoon, I wonder if you've heard about NCC Brahmins. Have you heard that story? Big, big sale. Stick near the radio. I'll tell you all about it in a moment. First, though, Meat and Livestock Australia is expecting the nation's cattle herd to fall slightly this year, easing by less than 1% to 28.6 million head by the end of June. This is one of the findings in MLA's latest cattle projections, which is out this week. The paper also looks at the size of the herd, the number of animals processed, carcass weights, meat production, exports. It does a lot. MLA's Stephen Bignall says the cattle herd looks fairly stable. So it's been quite a good um, northern uh, wet season, which means that northern Australia, where around 50% of the herd are, will be in a really good position for for production purposes into 2024. And so that means that there's the capacity in that part of the herd, that half of the herd to maintain. And then in southern Australia, conditions again haven't been disastrous and and the outlook is quite good into 2024. So any reduction in the herd in the south will just be because uh, capacity has sort of reached its limit. What are you looking at as we look across the country in terms of the slaughter figures? What are the projections? So in 2023, slaughter jumped uh, 1.2 million head. We don't have such a big jump this year. We've got slaughter uh, returning to sort of 10-year averages and and sitting at 7.9 million head. That'll be a jump of over 10% in the next uh, calendar year. And do you look at just the, the cattle exports out of the country as well? We look at both the livestock exports and uh, the actual total meat produced. And when we look out to 2026, we expect that Australia will produce 2.6 million tonnes of beef. And that will be in line with the records that we saw in 2014. So as the slaughter sort of jumps up over the next three years, and, and even if cattle weights sort of drop a little bit, that increase in slaughter will drive record production as we reach out to 2026. All right. So that's a jump of 16% in meat production between now and 2026. Is that right? Yes. And where will that go? Can that be uh, on the domestic market or we really have to look at the export market to look at that significant increase? A lot of that increase will be going to export markets. So we've got a slight growth in the domestic uh, utilisation number and that's probably just reflective of of increased um, population growth. And what we do see is the majority of that uplift in production will flow to export markets.
And do you look at specifically where in those export markets? Is it growth of the already established markets that we've got or how do you break that down? That figure is aggregated exports, but what we do know that will unfold over the next uh, three years is that US drought is forecast to um, break, which means that the US herd will go into a period of rebuild like we've experienced over the last four years, and they will really retreat from those global export markets, which will provide an opportunity for Australian beef exporters, both in the US, because the US is a big importer of meat, despite being an exporter, and also the key markets that the US plays in, which is your Korea, your Japan and the China. You also had a look at the like live cattle export figures. What is that showing you, Stephen? Yeah, so we've got uh, around a uh, jump in 50,000 head of cattle exports to over 700 and 20,000 next year. That puts us back in line with sort of the export figures from 2021. And as we go out to 2026, we have live exports jumping to over 800,000. We have them uh, reaching 810,000 in 2026, which is sort of where they sat between 2020 and 2021. And and I guess that's the, the majority of that going to Indonesia? Uh, yeah, Indonesia, uh, Vietnam, Philippines, the usual markets. So, you know, having a look at these figures from a cattle producer's perspective, what do you what do you really take away from what you're I, seeing in these figures? I think that we do know that the supply will hit the market. So if we talked last week about the official ABS figures and what we'd seen in 2023, we expect supply to continue to be elevated this year and, and even as seasonal conditions sort of normalise or, or even dampen and sort of worsen a little bit over this um, forecast period, we do expect supply to to come online and and for that to be processed, but that will allow our export markets to flourish and we do have the herd coming down as as sort of the seasonal conditions dampen over those three years. And can you draw anything at all in terms of prices from these sort of figures from a producer's perspective? MLA don't do price forecast, that's the line we always say, but we do in the projections actually go out to industry analysts and we get their aggregated price forecast. So these aren't MLA forecasts, but we get them to forecast both the feeder steer price and the heavy steer price. And and what they see is they actually see an improvement in both of those indicators uh, out to 30 June. They've got the feeder steer are sitting at 362.8 cents per kilo uh, live weight out at 30 June and they have the heavy steer sitting at 317.9 cents per kilo live weight at 30 June. Right, so slightly up? Slightly elevated. On what we're seeing at the moment? Yep. That is Mean Livestock Australia's Stephen Bignall speaking to Belinda Varischetti. And you can find MLA's latest cattle industry projections up on its website. Now, on the topic of beef, let's go across to Queensland now, where the entire herd of NCC Brahmin stud has been sold. Sold for an undisclosed price. But the mines had a boggles as to how many millions and millions of dollars this deal would be worth. So if you're not familiar with NCC, this is a stud with an incredible reputation. Back in 2017, it sold a bull called NCC Justified, which sold for $325,000, which to this day is the most expensive Brahmin bull ever sold in this nation. The entire herd, the whole thing, was due to go to auction, 
Beret and Leah Vella from Vella Brahman Stud in Queensland. They've jumped in. They got in, struck a deal, and have snapped up the entire herd. The livestock agent involved here is Joshua Heck. He had a chat to Megan Hughes just a short time ago. Yeah, we sort of obviously had interested parties right from the word go as soon as the um, as soon as the news broke, and um, yeah, in between um, talking to both parties, we uh, we came to an agreement that sort of suited uh, suited the Nobbs family and and the Vella family to acquire this um, one it's in a lifetime opportunity, I suppose, and. Um, yeah, so it's um, yeah that that was pretty much uh, the point of the negotiations began there sort of six or eight weeks ago and um, yeah the, over the last week we've come to an agreement and um, hopefully going forward it's it's um, yeah I wish all the all the families involved all the success. I imagine such a significant sale would have garnered a lot of interest. How did you go managing all that? Yeah, obviously the NCC heard is. Um, the highest profile stud in Australia, in my belief, um, you know, it's um, and and potentially in in the world. So um, the, the NCC brand and and cattle um, is just such a powerful genetic source, and and um, you know we we have had a lot of inquiry for the sale that was um, that was first announced, and I guess that's what brought about people um, started discussing the opportunity to secure the whole herd, and um, you know. As people will be, some people will be disappointed they don't get that opportunity. But you know, to to be able to still go along and um, and have the opportunity to buy at a NCC sale will continue. Only it'll be branded as Vela Brahmins. So uh, I think um, as far as uh, outlook for the Brahmin industry, I think it's um, it's a great, it's a positive, that's for sure. So when we speak about the whole herd, what was included? in that sale around about all the live breeding units so cows and calves upcoming weaners obviously embryo calves at foot at of um recipient cows so any of those calves that have been bred in the donor um an ivf program over the last couple of years come within the herd and uh also there's um there's a significant amount of embryos that are either been um created here in australia or uh embryos that have been shipped direct from from america so there's quite a lot of embryos in the in the deal as well to keep that keep the um elite program that is that was the ncc herd going and you've obviously been working quite closely with both families how are they feeling in all of this yeah i think you know the knobs family are uh, relieved that um it's going to to one herd so they can watch the progress of that herd for decades to come. Um, I think um, any sale auction day comes a a lot of pressure and um, just to have that off the shoulders would be, would be a massive part, but that um, mostly they're just great that, you know, they're two really well recognized families in the beef industry. And, um, and obviously the Vela family, it's, um, it's a massive leap of faith, but, Ray and um, Leah and, and the kids, they, they're no strangers to the Brahmin industry. They've been um, sourcing Brahmin genetics for their own herds, um, you know, and breeding bulls for their own commercial operations. So these guys are certainly people that have um, got a 
massive foothold in the in the beef industry already and uh they're, they're very passionate about the brahmin industry and um it's just great um that a great family has has secured this herd and i think people will really get behind them because they really are salt of the earth people there's livestock agent joshua heck speaking to megan hughes so just repeating this big beef news the nc brahmin stud ncc brahmin stud has sold the entire herd the herd snapped up by Vela Brahmin Stud in Queensland. The price tag undisclosed. But wow, it'd be a few dollars. It truly would be. G'day, I'm Angus Gidley Baird. I'm the Senior Animal Proteins Analyst with Rabobank, and you're listening to The Country Hour. And only three weeks to go until the NT Cattlemen's Association Conference is on. It's the 40th annual conference this year. It will be held in downtown Alice Springs and the official program is now out. It's now public. And I can tell you that the keynote speaker for the conference on on the Friday will be an international guest. So this year's keynote speaker at the NTCA conference is Mr. Todd Wilkinson, the president of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association from the United States. Now, in the blurb, it says Todd will explain the pivotal moments and strategic decisions that have shaped the National Cattlemen's Beef Association into the influential force that it is today, representing the interests of cattle producers and shaping the future of the American beef landscape. This comes at a time, of course, when the U.S. cattle herd is at its lowest since the 1950s. An interesting speaker for the NTCA conference. He is the keynote speaker. So that'll be on in three weeks in Alice Springs. The Country Hour will be there. We'll be there. March 22, looking forward to it. And the whole idea is if you can't make it to the conference, we hope you can tune into the Country Hour and feel like you are there and get all the news and all the gusts. Uh, we're going to go to the newsroom. See you back here in five for a chat with the Weather Bureau. I'm Eddie Artoy. I was born in Pine Creek and I was born here on the 19th of September 1937 and I worked and lived here all my life and you're listening to the Country Hour. Matt Brown with you this afternoon. Another day, another NT Labor Minister in the spotlight for buying and selling shares. You'll be hearing from the Police Minister, Brent Potter, in just a moment. He bought shares in Sea Farm. Arguably a bad move for a few reasons. Anyway, you'll hear from the Minister himself in a moment. And it's a big week in Alice Springs. School of the Air is hosting its annual school week. It's brought in lots of students. And it's also brought in the home tutors. They're all in Alice Springs this week, getting up to date on ways to help their remote students. You'll hear from some of the govies on the Country Hour just before 1.30. The old saying is that the cook is the most important person on a cattle station, but, gee, the govy would have to be right up there as well, surely. Uh, let's go to the Weather Bureau. Juliet Barton is there this afternoon. And, Juliet, just looking at top-end radars, there's quite a few storms and showers around this afternoon. Yes, that's right. We've got some weak monsoon conditions in the north, a, a weak low that's circulating near the WA border in the north-west Gregory district, 
got deep tropical moisture coming along in the moist northerly flow over the Barkley with uh, afternoon storms beginning to kick off, expecting those showers and thunderstorms to, to keep spreading to the south. There's a big blob of rain just on the Queensland border. It's mostly on the mm. Queensland side at the moment. Well, what's the chances of that moving into the Barkley? Oh, um, I'd say reasonably good in that north northeast flow. So just see how much of it we get. Uh, there's an area of convergence over the Carpentaria and along the Queensland uh, coast at the moment. Not too much in the rain gauges yet. Even on the Queensland side, it seems to have missed it. Um, so since 9am, not too much to speak of, just falls of up to about 24 millimetres recorded, 22 at Bradshaw Training. Gee, that's all right. Mm. Uh, yeah, but I guess the, we've had some really impressive totals to 9am. Um, False Headland, 113 millimetres to 9am in the in the daily and 93.2 at Sunshine Bore. So uh, circulating into that. A weak low pressure system. We've seen some heavier rainfall totals. Yeah, and for those at home, if they've never been to Falsh Headland, it's a bit south of Pine Creek. And I've got here the good people at Matheson Cattle Station have recorded 50, Upper Waterhouse 32, Borrelula Airport's copped 40 millimetres up to 9 o'clock this morning, Timber Creek has had 21, Coolibar Cattle Station 39, and Kalkaringi, the community there, has recorded 44 millimetres up to 9 o'clock this morning. So can we expect more of these type of totals in the next sort of 24 hours or so? Yes, we can, and, and potentially an increased chance of them. Uh, t- for today, there's a chance of uh, severe thunderstorms producing heavy rainfall, mainly for the Southern Daly and Northern Gregory, but on Thursday, which is tomorrow, um, expecting that to extend across the Barkley with all that tropical moisture continuing to deepen and move further south. So that'll cover the Gregory District, the Barkley District, and a bit of the eastern Tanami and northern Lassiter District for the chance of some heavy falls with uh, severe thunderstorms uh, aided by an, a mid-level trough. Ooh, okay. And when's the Alice expecting a good drop of rain? Well, potentially any any time today, a sixty percent chance of getting something today, okay. and a top of thirty eight is uh, expected. Uh, greater chances over Thursday, Friday, before the chance of thunderstorms starts to diminish again for Alice. Mm. For Yalara, one more sunny day, forty two, um, <sighs> and then very slight chance of being less sunny uh, on Thursday, but still forecasting for forty two, and. Then the easing will really come over the weekend for them getting down to 33 on Saturday. And a text that's come through says, please, please don't forget to ask about Northern Simpson for any rain. What can you tell them? Northern Simpson. Yes, Northern Simpson is is still um, in a sort of medium chance uh, for... A, for to, um, I'm sorry, medium to high chance for today and tomorrow and... Uh, increasing a bit on so Thursday, Friday, and then as we head into the weekend, unfortunately, so it looks like some drier south uh, east to southeast air mass will get in and make it very hot for the southeast uh, Simpson district. Are you willing to say how many millimeters are possible for that part of the territory? 
Oh, gosh. I'd say isolated up to 80 is possible, but mm-hmm. probably more likely in the range of 20 to 30. Okay. All right. Uh, to whoever texted in from the Northern Simpson, I hope that's answered your question. Anything else we need to be aware of this afternoon, Juliet? Uh, those are the main things for today and tomorrow. Beauty. All right. Thanks for your time. My pleasure. After a 3 0 victory over Uzbekistan. Ford's header is three. Caitlin Ford from six yards out. And Paris becomes a dream which inches closer for the Matildas. The Matildas are just one step away from booking their ticket to the Paris Olympics. Great save. That's a stunning save. Join ABC Sports coverage live from Dockland Stadium tonight. It's game time here on ABC Radio Darwin and on the ABC Listen app. Our text number of the country hour is 0487 1057. That's the text number if you have questions for the Weather Bureau or maybe story ideas. Mark from Humpty Doo says, Matt, can you find out where the illustrious Gamba Army is working at the moment, seeing that this is peak Gamba Army working season and the fact that we have extra funding? That's what Mark is thinking about this afternoon on 0487991057. Hi, I'm Tim Burrow and I represent the sand, rock and gravel extractors of the Northern Territory and you're listening to the Country Hour. It is 12 past one. Northern Territory Police Minister Brent Potter has denied having insider knowledge when he bought more than 8,000 shares in the ASX-listed Sea Farms Group while working as a senior advisor to the then Minister Nicole Menison. Now remember, this is the company that's been looking to build that massive prawn farm out on Lejeune Station known as Project Sea Dragon, a project that kind of looks dead in the water now But back in 2021, when Mr Potter bought those shares, well, Project Sea Dragon was looking pretty good. And it was, of course, attracting a lot of government funding, including, in the end, $56 million from the Northern Territory government. The ABC's Adam Steer spoke to Minister Brent Potter this morning to see if this was another case of integrity issues within the Labor government. Yep, I bought, as you said, the, I can't remember the quantity, but it was about $500. I bought them in June 2021, at which point I declared them on the disclosure form. And it's not just about what shares you have in your interest. You have to actually articulate how you're going to manage the conflict of interest, which I did on that. And then you sit down with your line manager and you sit with them and work through and they approve it. And then you sit down with the overall chief of staff of the floor and they approve it as well. So very declared in June. I bought them like most Territorians supporting a territory major project, which was declared a major project before I started. And as you rightly point out, I was the police advisor. Now, then at which point when I became a member of parliament, I declared them openly in 2022 on my conflict of interest register, which have been on there ever since. And then when I became a minister, I put them up for sale the day after. Um, I think we spoke last year before the end of Christmas. And you actually asked me what shares I had. And I said to you, I had Sea Farm shares and sold them. They took a bit longer than I would have liked because they were in administration. But 17 days later, they were sold. That's the proof they were sold. And then, as is required by the 1st of March every year, uh, to update my register form, I've got the update 
that I put on the 20th of February before the 1st of March to show that I'd sold them. Um, so they've been declared the whole way through. Uh, any member of government, or sorry, any advisor, any uh, government employee is allowed to buy shares. They just have to declare them and, and comply with the rules and regulations, which is what I did. The Centre for Public Integrity Director Geoffrey Watson has raised questions as to whether you purchased these shares with knowledge that there would be more than a $100 million in taxpayer dollar investment. Uh, absolutely had no inside knowledge, and I believe that all of that was occurred before when they got major project status. So um, I can answer that here on record, that I knew nothing more than what Territorians did in the public, um, and that's why they were declared on the form. I think at the time going through that, if there was anything more than that, it would have been raised during those discussions with my manager and the floor manager, um, but it's been declared the whole time, and I knew nothing more than any everyday Territorian. When did you decide to divest those shares? Uh, the day that I became a minister. So the discussion, obviously, we spoke around the uh, issue with the previous chief minister. I think it was in uh, November, her issue. The day that I became, which is like the first or second of November, we put them up. They took 17 days to sell. And that's proof with the sale document that I've got here for you if you need to see it. But um, as soon as we became minister, they were sold. So um, it's just that because you were within that ministerial sure. department when those decisions were being made at the same time as you were investing there. Can you re- prove that you recused yourself from any or all discussions about the company while holding shares in it? Well, I can tell you as a police advisor, you're not sitting through meetings around prawns or any agribusiness, aquaculture. Um, but I can show you on the form here that the discussion and the means to manage that conflict of interest, which is on here and clearly articulated, which was for me to not be involved in any meetings. And if any discussions were have to excuse myself, but also for the rest of the team to be aware that I had shares in that company and not to discuss it with us. But I can tell you on the record, I never had any meetings, never sat through any meetings and never ever engaged with the Sea Farms company whilst I was an advisor. The register has also not been updated, which is in breach of the legislated rules. Mm. Why not? Uh, so the 28 days you're referring to. Yep. Listen, that's on me, Adam. I mean, I sold the shares on the 17th. I completely understand if someone buys the shares and then fails to update it because you've then got a conflict. The fact of the matter is I sold them, so I had no conflict. Had to be updated by 28 days on the 17th of November. That's on me. Uh, and ultimately, I was focused on because I was the police minister at the time, and I had a lot, bunch of legislation to pass through. And ultimately, um, dealing with the issues of crime and antisocial behaviour my number one priority. But getting rid of the conflict was key when I became a minister. But given everything that's happened... Mm-hmm. Given the fact that Eva Lawler had said all her ministers were made to divest, why didn't you prioritise updating the register? But that's the key. I did. Uh, oh, sorry, update the register. Yeah, it's an oversight. I can't say any more than that, that own the mistake as I've very clearly come out and said I'll hold everyone accountable for their own actions. And that's why I'm sitting here this morning to answer your questions and own that. That is Adam Steer speaking to the Police Minister, Brent Potter. And in case you were wondering, shares in sea farms... Since June 2021, they have dropped by a whopping 96%. You are tuned into the Country Hour, broadcasting across the Territory. We're off to Alice Springs next to catch up with govies that have come in from far and wide for a big week at School of the Air. The bush. Tommy Curtin, living in the bush. You are tuned into the Country Hour. And I tell you what, a lot of Bush families have made their way to Alice Springs this week for school. School of the Air is hosting its annual school week, which is a chance for everyone to get together, learn together. And it's not just for the students. A big part of the week also focuses on supporting the family's home tutors, the govies. Our reporter, Victoria Ellis, popped into one of the workshops this week to find out what the govies were most excited about for the year ahead. 
Hey, I'm Molly. I'm the home tutor at Eldunda Station and I'm most excited about taking the kids adventuring. Hey, I'm Lucy. I'm from Mount Kavanagh Station. I'm just home tutoring two little boys. Um, I'm most excited for this year to watch them learn and grow and have fun with them out in the bush. Hi, my name's Miss Olivia. I'm from Victory Down Station. This is my second year as a home tutor and I am most looking forward to seeing their progression as they grow older. Um, it's a very special and rewarding feeling to be such a big role in their lives and in their education. Quite often they will do or they will have tasks to draw pictures of their family or what their family means to them or who is a part of their family tree and uh, nine times out of ten they have me in there with alongside with mum and dad and sister and they've usually got me in there which is really really special to be a part of. So you're looking forward to that again being part of that family again? Yes very much so very much. Hi, I'm Scarlett. I'm from Little Creek. This is my second year being a govy and I think the main thing for me is the progress of seeing like my kid from the end of last year to her progress to the end of this year. Um, I'm Helenia. I'm from Calabity Station and the thing I'm most excited for about this year is just seeing the kids grow and just being there, teaching them and just being outside with them as well. Hi, I'm Taylor. I'm from Anna Creek Station. Um, and as the govy there, I am most excited for seeing the kids develop and, and seeing them develop from last year to this year and what changes they're going to make. And then personally, obviously, as they're getting older, seeing their personalities grow as they develop into older kids, I guess. Yeah. Um, as home tutor and mum, I'm most excited about seeing um, my little one in these early years learn those really fundamental skills like reading so I think the growth I'll see in a year will be a really exciting thing. Hi I'm Anthea Frosinakis, Principal at Alice Springs School of the Air. Every year we hold a home tutor conference and the focus of our home tutor conference is professional learning and supporting our home tutors. So our home tutors may be parents um, or they might be employed governesses, govies as you hear us refer to them and we run a conference so we can deliver professional learning for them that is going to help them in their learning to help our students learning. So the focus is about our students learning and how we can support them. It's not the first year this has been running. What is different about this year compared to other years? That's a really good question. Um, I suppose every year is unique because we really look at what it is um, that we are focusing on for the year for our students um, and look at what workshops we can offer for the home tutors. So we've been doing a lot of work around positive behaviour and establishing our school values. So today we've actually got Louise O'Kelly who's a positive behaviour um, consultant and she's worked worked with us leading up to today but today she's spending a couple of sessions working with our home tutors just unpacking what it is to teach behaviour that we, it's really important that we teach students how to behave we teach academics but 
behaviour is the same thing. We need to teach behaviour. So we've got a big focus on that. Um, obviously our, our ongoing programs of maths and our Read, Write, Inc program, which is a learning to read program for our transitions to year twos, um, with a smattering of other other workshops as well. So one of the things I took away when I was just sitting in at the end there was when you would say teach behaviour, it's not just say be good, you actually show what being good looks like. Is that right? Exactly right. So I think sometimes we just expect children or students to behave in a certain way, but we've got to understand that they need to be taught and shown and modelled and acknowledged for the behaviour that they are exhibiting. And Louise talks a lot about any behaviour that we um, show is for a reason. So a student may behave in a certain way because they know they're going to get a certain reaction or they're going to get something. Even as adults, we know if we behave a certain way, we're going to get some kind of consequence or from it. So, yeah, it's really important that we teach students the behaviours that they need to become successful learners and to be safe, of course. And when students are living in remote cattle stations or just from other remote parts of the Territory or, or even South Australia, there's some South Australians here as well, How important is it to be able to learn those things from a home tutor and with that support when students are isolated socially? That's a really good thing um, and, and that, that's a big thing for our students. What I love about Asoa is we are like one big family and even though our students are isolated, our students do come together once a term for a week so they're with their classmates, they're with their teacher. Um, so it's about helping them understand the behaviours that they need to exhibit not only in their home classroom where it might just be one student with a home tutor but when they're with a bigger group of students and our students are they're unique they're 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 fantastic bunch of students and you know when they come together we don't have behavior problems you know they're 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 very um they're very they're actually very social and I think that comes from living on stations because a lot of students will um interact with adults and but yeah so when they come in it gives them that opportunity to be with their classmates and yeah and for the teachers to reinforce that behaviour. And the question I've been asking the home tutors today is, what are you most excited about for this year? What are you most excited about for this year? Oh, I'm always excited every year. I love working at School of the Air. It's such a unique place. I I suppose for me, I've stepped up into the principal position for the first six months, so I'm excited about that. Um, And I'm just excited to see our students learning, you know, grow and for our students to develop, but also a big part of what we do here is our home tutors, so helping them develop their skills to help the students learn. So that's where my passion lies, is obviously with students, but also our home tutors. That is Alice Springs School of the Air Principal Anthea Frosinakis speaking to Victoria Ellis. On the text line, Sprinkles says, Matt, do they have a Govy of the Year award? If they don't, they should. <coughs> it's time to head to the sale yards of all the latest prices out of Dublin, South Australia. Here's Elsie Adamo. Numbers reduced as agents offered 300 live weight and open auction cattle. The usual trade and processor buyers, feeders and restockers provided generally good competition. 
Quality this week was extremely mixed, with more secondary yielding cattle coming forward. Prices reflected the quality on offer, with very few ideal trade cattle throughout the yarding. Vila steers sold to 270 cents, as Vila heifers range from 216 to 262 cents per kilogram. Grown steers sold from 245 to 286 cents, with grown heifers ranging from 244 to 258 cents per kilogram. Medium weights made 70 cents to 160 cents, with heavy cows selling from 180 to 244 cents per kilogram. Bulls sold from 100 to 160 cents per kilogram. This has been Elsie Adamo filling in for John Traeger for the MLA's National Livestock Reporting Service. Thank you for that, Elsie. Just quickly, Energy Resources of Australia has released its yearly financial results and it's reporting a net loss of $1.38 billion. It says last year it spent $211 million on rehabilitating the old Ranger uranium mine. And, of course, there were no uranium oxide sales to generate revenue. It's tough numbers for ERA. We might talk about this in more detail on tomorrow's Country Hour. Keep it rural.